0: Hello everyone, Phil Seymour here, CEO of IBA, and I'm joined today by Andy Mansell, partner at Split Rock Aviation.
1: Yes, good morning. Uh,
0: so uh, here we are at the iStat Americas event in Austin, Texas. We've uh, obviously got some big issues affecting our industry at the moment, but the, uh, the thought piece that um, was published last week was looking at operating leases.
1: What, what prompted that paper? Well, the uh, grounding of the 737 MAX, was was originally what led me to start looking at the at the lease and in particular uh, through the lens of how up-to-date the leases are versus uh, how much the industry has evolved and my original focal point was the hello high water
0: section yeah because really I suppose it's been unprecedented hasn't it we've seen I suppose we saw issues with deliveries of 787s but the leases hadn't really started then that was a production issue but um, I can't think of anything in our industry that's been as prolonged as the grounding of the max.
1: Completely agree. I mean, I think it's, it's totally unprecedented. In addition for the seven, eight, of course, the production numbers, whether well, probably at six or eight a month or something, you know, mm. when, when yeah. the seven, eight was grounded versus working towards, what is it? 57 was the plan for the, yeah. for the max. So that um, I mean,
0: operating leases in general, is it fair to say that, you know, that there are differences, but Ultimately, you could look at any operating lease and, and see a, a reasonable structure. Things will be negotiated, but there aren't really uh, amazingly different operating leases. They tend to follow a structure, and the hell or high water clause would be in all of those leases.
1: True, and I think it's you know you could go back to the very first lease done. And the, the key difference here when we consider the max is the hell or high water clause was really designed that in the event that a lessor unless he disagreed on something. You've got to stay current, you've got to perform you know, all of your obligations, and then you go after the lessor through whatever mm. channel it is, arbitration or the, or the court system. It was never designed uh, to tackle an instance like the grounding of an aircraft. So the the hell or high water clause, that's
0: that's not really a negotiated point, is it? It's something that I think we've just glossed over in the past.
1: It, it's, a, uh, it's standard to the point that a lessor would rather walk away. Historically, yeah. they touched that section. Okay. And every lessor has always taken that stance. And it was so standard that no one has ever questioned mm. it. So, is it, is it,
0: let's say, as simple as saying, okay, the hell or high water clause in its, let's say, current or previous form is still valid. But there'll be some paragraph that says, in the event that the, a regulator or an OEM finds themselves grounding an aircraft for more than, you know, square brackets, 90 days, 180 days, that there would be a discussion over payments? I mean, how, how would you see it developing?
1: Um, that's right. I mean, I, I do think as it relates to the operation of the aircraft and the relationship between a lessor and a lessee, I don't think any part of that will change. But logically, if, an, if a plane is not available to an airline for no reason caused by the airline, you would think that, that would be an area that could be carved out yeah of the High water clause and then I mean I say similarly
0: but also what happens to the you know in the event of loss but you know what how is that dealt with from the insurance perspective and the lessee
1: and less discussion so in the in the event of loss and this to me when I when I looked at that section and, and we spoke about it some time ago, that's just more the evolution of wording and the evolution of the industry, where everyone is used to to negotiating within a parameter set without actually looking at the parameters themselves. Mm -hmm. So very standard is the, you know, you insure insure an aircraft for 110%, 115%, 120% Mm -hmm. of, uh, of its value. And no one really questions it. They'll question what premium they have to pay, whether it's the 110 or the 120. But all of that goes back to the days of financing. It was a specific requirement Mm -hmm. uh, for when financings were msn specific as opposed to generally these days for most of the lessors they're corporate unsecured so you know you go out in the market and you raise six seven hundred million billion so i I was questioning in that what that premium was really for uh, because it's no longer a financing requirement for most lessors and lessors would typically say well in the event of a total loss know we're still gonna have expenses we still have to meet the loan payments and Mm -hmm. you know the settlement could be months away so that's what that's for but the lease also says you have to keep paying rent and to me, it's like that's what that is for so you would say not which one necessarily is right or wrong but isn't it the case that only one of them should be applicable at the at the same time yeah that sounds fair so moving on uh, the paper also covered
0: you know, what happens to maintenance reserves in the event of loss? I mean, sits with the lessor or goes
1: back to the lessee, what seems right, so to be for, the right way? Uh, it's a very standard provision, again, in the in the lease, and it's always a point of discussion. And even with the major sort of airlines, so we're talking very experienced operators here, mm-hmm. once again, the parameter set is established and existing, and and the discussion is how much of the reserves would be mm-hmm. returned to an operator in the event of a total loss. And uh, a, in, in my experience frequently you'd end up maybe at a 50 50 or, or something like that but the lessor position is that look the maintenance reserves are to cover the utilization occurred against a plane that utilization utilization occurred anyway so regardless of whether it was a total loss or not this, this part happened so we're we're keeping them and the easiest way for me to to describe this disparity is that if it was a return compensation deal where someone was doing a settle up at the end of the lease there's nothing payable and let's right. all say that we're that they don't profit out of reserves. I was like, well, if you are going to treat the return comp differently than the maintenance reserves, that does yeah. kind of look like profiting.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, ultimately, I assume the, the lessee's position is I'm paying towards future maintenance, which isn't going to happen. Right. If um, the asset no longer exists. But then meanwhile, it looks like perhaps there's been a free ride if, if you know, no maintenance that let's say has been accrued is it sort of benefits them but um yeah it's a tough one i mean do you i suppose you find the more experienced lessees will
1: will really go to town on this um, my experience no. i mean that'll still be uh, you know it could be a tough discussion animated discussion mm-hmm. but it's still about how to split the pot rather than just focusing on the logic of yeah. if this was a return comp deal we would not have this
0: yeah okay so with regards to this maintenance reserve issue, Andy, how might that change in the future?
1: Well, I think along with the carve out and the hollow high water, I, I think on the maintenance reserve um, point, logically the reserve should be returned to, mm-hmm. the, to the lessee. And I think that will become a much more yeah. prevalent accepted point uh, as yeah. we move forward.
0: OK. Excellent. Well, as you can probably hear, we are recording live at a conference with 1800 people and we thought we'd be up a little bit earlier than them. But uh, if you get a bit of background noise, it's because we have a few other early birds here in Austin as well. So uh, apologies, but it shows how authentic this recording is. Okay. Can we just now look at the Obviously we have the, the situation with coronavirus, we, we've had issues in the industry before where there have been, uh, you know, regional pockets of concern, which uh, may not be sort of necessarily weren't global issues then, but the impact of 9-11, impact of SARS. Now, at the moment, airlines have got aircraft sitting on the ground, um, they've probably got very low load factors, even if they're being utilised, you know, you haven't got enough cash coming in. so. You know, presumably the lessee is saying, look, look, poor us, what, what assistance can you provide? Is it, you know, is it treated with sympathy from a lessor or, well, that's unfortunate, but not my problem. Are, are Chinese uh, airlines likely to get uh, more sympathy than, than other airlines?
1: Absolutely. I, I think the lessors will be very supportive of the, of the Chinese airlines. Uh, my understanding is that the rolling sort of request is, is a three month deferral. Um, I don't think three months will be enough, even if everything cleared up tomorrow. I think it's going to take quite a bit longer for, yeah. uh, for confidence to, to recover. And I think the further you move from China, the, the more um, cynical the lens will be from the lessor. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But anywhere, you know, if you, if you look at the Pacific Rim generally, anywhere that has, a, has strong Chinese tourism, I think it's going to be significantly impacted. Yeah. And I'm talking about you know, Vietnam, Philippines, yeah. Korea, Malaysia, yeah. Thailand, Indonesia, and some of those countries don't have particularly strong flag carriers. Mm. So that'll be the harder one for the lessors to really try and assess that impact.
0: I yeah, I mean, the, um, IATA's figure that was published, I think about the 20th of February, you know, had a figure of 29 billion, but I, uh, it, it did actually say that that assumed that 29 billion losses if coronavirus was contained within China and surrounding areas. But then within 24 hours, we saw the issues in Iran, northern Italy. And obviously, over the last few days, we've seen increasing cases, a lot of uh, corporate travel has been curtailed, even here in the US, even within the US, we've had some fairly big corporations, uh, not not coming here, only probably a handful or maybe no more than 10% of 2000. But how impactful will you see that it's going to be a lot more than 29 billion is
1: my view i think so i mean i think what we're experiencing is for china this is uh, china's 9 11 you know as a Mm. market disrupting event and china's so much bigger and and more impactful in the global economy than it used to be Mm. you know we've already seen the supply chain issues Mm. that have have occurred as, as different parts of china kind of went on lockdown the big one for me in terms of how the industry deals with it, is whether anything happens in India. Right. Because if, if, if this becomes a thing in India, mm. I think we could be back to like the 2008 type of stress mm. in the system. Because of the pure numbers there,
0: or because of the, the growth that's expected in aviation, or, or both?
1: I'd say both. I think the, um, I mean, obviously, massive country, mm. uh, very uh, dense population. Um, but I also look at what I'd say is the fragility of the airline sector there, how aggressive they've been in growth. and and you know I'd, I'd say that generally their operating stats are just really thin like on the line as as they've mm-hmm. grown aggressively, I just don't know how um, they could withstand much of a much of a knock, and the government typically hasn't been that supportive yeah. of of the industry in the past. Okay,
0: good. I think yeah. at that point, we may need to wrap up because we get a lot, of, uh, lot more activity here in Austin as people come back from the clubs. Uh, we're recording this at 4am and uh, uh, maybe we should have chosen a different time to do it. Thanks Andy. Yeah, thanks for having and me. For- thank you. If you're interested in reading the full report it's available on our website www.iba.aero/insight. The second report will be coming in the next few months, hopefully by September. And if you have got any further questions, please do get in touch with myself and Andy. With regards to social media, please do follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter to keep up to date with all of our latest insight. Thanks. Bye for now.